Yeah, so today's Earth Day, and um, the title of my message is Formed from the Dust of the Earth. And so creation and the natural environment and their connection to God uh, are very much consistent topics and consistent themes kind of throughout Scripture. Uh, If you read the creation story in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, uh, it draws a very strong relationship between humanity and the earth. Uh, there's, there's the poetic of um, describing how God forms the first human from the dust of the earth. And so being formed from dust and kind of returning to dust is this narrative that, that continues through Genesis and continues through key points in Scripture. And it's kind of this recognition of the cycle of life Uh, But also, I think, our sort of foundational connection with the very earth that's underneath our feet. If you read the Psalms, the Psalmists uh, consistently relate the majesty and the wonder of creation, the skies and and the heavens and the oceans and the mountains and and the forests uh, to the wonder and and to the glory of God. And so in many ways, uh, God is described as being almost inseparable from the expanse and the mystery of creation, and in turn, creation as inseparable from the wonder and the mystery of God. Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, day after day they pour forth speech, Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world, and in the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And then the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans uh, picks up on this theme too uh, in Romans 1.20 uh, where he writes, For the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now this verse uh, is often referenced to justify a, a particular doctrine that's called natural revelation. Uh, and natural revelation pretty much kind of spells out that uh, God's existence is visibly obvious through the beauty of creation and as such uh, non-believers or non-Christians have no excuse for rejecting God. Now in and of itself God revealed in and through nature I think is not especially unreasonable or harmful. However uh, the doctrine has kind of become more about how it is that God reveals himself in nature such that no one will be able to plead ignorance of his existence on the last day. And so in that context, um, I kind of find that doctrine of natural revelation to be kind of a very privileged and Western perspective. The sad reality is that natural revelation, as it's interpreted in that doctrine, doesn't actually really exist for millions of people who are living in conditions where their environment is being exploited for corporate and political gain. The reality is is that not everyone lives in or can access pristine environments. The the reality is that uh, 
a lot of the world uh, is really struggling and a lot of communities are really struggling uh, in the ecosystems that they find themselves in. Um, uh, take Indonesia, for example. Uh, many textile producers and, and other companies who are fleeing uh, rising labour costs, who are, who are fleeing um, environmental regulations in, in Western countries, uh, picked up their operations, shifted to Indonesia. And they very, very quickly grew. And they quickly grew in uh, a regulation environment that wasn't ready for them. They, they grew, uh, textile companies uh, grew ignoring any kind of environmental practices uh, that would have been imposed on them in the country of origin. Um, and so effluent chemicals and waste were, was dumped into waterways. And so with that rapid growth uh, came a deluge of factory workers and they then quickly overwhelmed um, the, the local, the municipal waste disposal systems and that further stressed rivers and waterways. Today, uh, Indonesia ranks among the top kind of 10 textile and apparel producing countries in the world, but this economic growth has come at a really steep price. Uh, it, it's ruined major rivers. There, there are ecosystems that are literally dead. And it's seen the destruction of literally hundreds upon hundreds of rice fields that are contaminated with heavy metals uh, from industrial effluent. And this is kind of a story that has often played out um, time and again around the world as environmental regulations kind of catch up with polluting industries. So the psalmist says that the skies declare God's craftsmanship. But I guess the question that I kind of posed to myself this week, what happens when people can't see the sky due to smog and waste? What happens when water is kind of too unsafe to drink? What happens when air is too toxic to breathe and kind of the sheer decay of the surrounding environment endangers you and, and endangers your family and your livelihood? How? How is God revealed and kind of glorified in that? When, when the natural um, physical existence around you is kind of taken away and broken and heading towards death instead of life, how does this point people to God? And so for many people around the world, uh, the idea of natural revelation is kind of in some ways absurd. It possibly even argues against the existence of God. But if, as Christians, we truly believe that the earth reflects God's glory, then the act of exploiting creation, the, the act of allowing uh, creation to become, become corrupted uh, that in such a way that it kind of directly prevents people from experiencing the goodness of God, is a problem. But my experience is that in many ways, particularly in the church circles that I may have grown up in, that this has kind of long been the case. The, there's this sense uh, sometimes in evangelical Christianity um, that the church is almost the enemy of the environment um, and certainly the enemy of climate science. Um, often the articulated position is that sort of this, uh, that climate change is sort of this Trojan horse that's designed uh, to abolish capitalism and replace it with some kind of crazy eco-socialism. And so the attempt to discredit climate science uh, is not abating, it's aggressive. And the debate is, is often focused on things like data, but when you look at the full weight of it, the, the science and the data is solid. The, the argument from climate change denialists has long been 
and continues to be uh, disproven. But it doesn't seem to slow the argument. And if anything, climate change denialists are just kind of getting louder and getting more determined. And so my observation is that hardcore denialists um, actually don't care whether uh, man-made climate change is kind of true or not. Because I don't think the disagreement is actually about the data. It's really just a preference. Uh, the argument against climate science and climate justice is often uh, underpinned by kind of two foundational beliefs. And the first uh, is what I would call terrible eschatology. Um, and so eschatology, if, if you don't know the term, it's just a fancy theological term for uh, any kind of theology that's concerned with uh, death and judgment um, and the final destiny of the soul and, and humankind. And so a lot of uh, Christian sort of eschatological doctrine, there's a mouthful, uh, is obsessed with things like apocalypse and the destruction of the earth and, and uh, the destination of people's souls. Um, and, and the eschatology behind sort of ignorance and denial of climate science is this belief that uh, the earth is going to be destroyed anyway and Christians are going to heaven. So, oh, well, who cares? Blow the whole thing up. Um, in fact, that's kind of increasingly becoming the argument for, for attempts to, to uh, speed up Armageddon because of its sort of perceived inevitability um, and the hope that Jesus will return quickly and kind of judge humankind sooner rather than later, which I personally find scary stuff. But anyway, so I, I think part of it's underpinned by terrible eschatology. And I think the second belief, which is probably not named, but is this belief in the primacy of consumerism and capitalism. And what is required to address climate change is actually antithetical to rampant consumerism and capitalism. What is required is massive change. And we need to make significant changes to systems and to legislation and to manufacturing and, and kind of how we live our lives. Um, and if we're honest, we, we don't really want to do that. You know, the, the attitude is, well, we live very nice and comfortable lives. Uh, thank you very much. So take your theories about climate change, toss them in the polluted river in Indonesia and uh, please move on. So this terrible eschatology, neoliberal economics um, have a lot to answer for, in my opinion. But scripture des describes how we're formed from the dust of the earth. Our connection uh, to creation is made explicit. However, I think that connection is, is often derailed by, by convenience and by greed. Um, thankfully, though, uh, the more I read and the more I research and the more I kind of look at this topic, uh, I think that the culture and weight of opinion is shifting. Uh, there's various studies that suggest uh, that the most extreme intractable climate deniers, um, uh, apologies to a broader audience, but many of them who are white conservative men uh, are actually a small population small minority of the population, roughly about 10% who kind of sit in that hardened position, um, which is a demographic that's kind of massively overrepresented uh, over in positions of power and decision-making, which I get is a problem. But um, I, I don't see that the problem is that a majority of people kind of need to change their ideas and values. I think the challenge is more to change the culture of 
the small but disproportionately influential minority and the reckless worldview that they represent. I think the challenge is to dilute their power. And so if we're formed from the dust of the earth, then our connection to this planet is central to our very survival. And I think, I think it, we kind of need to be reminded of that as the church. We need to be reminded of, of our shared humanity, of, of the value of all life, of the connection between creation and community and the wonder of God. And uh, it, when Jesus shared a final meal with his disciples, when uh, what we call communion was instituted, he said, this is my body. And what he used to describe his body was bread. He broke bread. And it was bread that obviously was crafted from the grains of the earth. It was bread that had uh, been watered from the skies and tilled and produced by human hands. And when he said, this is my blood, he said that as he poured wine, wine that was pressed from grapes grown in the soil and harvested by human hands. You know, our bread and our wine come from the earth. And so in some ways, the act of communion is in part a reminder that we are part of something bigger. It's, it's a reminder that we are uh, connected to all of creation, that we are intrinsically connected to the dust of the earth and very much charged with caring uh, for the world around us. And so my prayer for this week uh, is that we discover and renew that connection, that, that we wouldn't take the food and the coffee and the water that we enjoy for granted, that, that we would be reminded that we're very much part of something bigger, that we are connected not only to the earth, but, but to the people who bring us that food, who produce that food, who, who bring that food to our table, who, who make the very clothes that we wear, people who are often undervalued, people who are often uh, underpaid, people whose waterways may be polluted because of industrialization, people whose uh, homelands are threatened because of rising seas and changing weather patterns, and that we would be reminded that it's very much incumbent on us as, as part of a global community, as part of a shared communion, to try and do something about it within whatever power or influence that we have, to, to value the resources that we have, to, to reduce waste, to, to plead the case of those who don't have access to the authorities and leaders who, who can bring change. And that ultimately, in some way, in some form, uh, that we would be moved to action. That's my prayer. Amen. Amen.